0: Hi, this is Dagan Frickland, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast.
1: Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web, and by Final Draft Scriptwriting Software, the entertainment industry standard for scriptwriting worldwide. My name's Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 11, for Monday, February 28th, 2011. This is the last episode of our Women TV Writer Series, though we will speak to more women after this, I'm sure. And this is also the beginning of the Canadian TV Writer Series, which will run through the month of March. Um... It's great that we can have both in the same day, and we're talking to writer Degan Frickland, who is a very well-established Canadian TV writer. She's done animation, she's done features, and also dramatic writing, shows like Cold Squad, Robson Arms, Successful Exports, Being Erica, and The Listener. She's the winner of a Leo Award, and also she was nominated for a Canadian Screenwriter Award. She talks about writing fellowships, the industry in Canada, and a lot more. I do want to apologize. I did have an unexpected hiatus in February. Uh, there were several weeks that I was way too swamped in my day job to release podcast episodes but they will be weekly from here on in. As a matter of fact, we might have to double up in some weeks because there are so many writers that I'm, I'm going to be talking to in the month of March. Uh, I do want to urge you to follow me on Twitter, at Grey Jones is my handle for the latest updates in terms of what's going on, and also to make sure that you can get your questions asked um, in advance of the episodes. And also you can go to tvwriterpodcast.com, To get lots of helpful resources, back episodes, we've talked to a number of great writers and showrunners over the past few weeks. And also, you can find the TV Writer Twitter database there that has almost 400 Twitter addresses for writers in LA and also in Canada. Um, Make sure you also check out our partner, scriptmag.com. Uh, Script Magazine is a tremendous resource for writing, both for features and for television. But we're going to move right along to a very packed interview that I had with Dagan Frickland. I know you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. This is Gray Jones, and I'm here with Canadian writer Dagan Frickland. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: I apologize. I brought a cold back with me from Toronto.
1: Oh, no. It tends to happen.
0: brought jet lag and cold.
1: Yeah. And so just to establish for the viewers, you are living in Vancouver. I live in Vancouver, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so we're going to follow your story as a Canadian writer. And all of the writers that we've had on the podcast so far have been uh, working pretty much ex- exclusively in Hollywood so I think this will be a really really interesting series this is the start of a Canadian TV writer series that'll go throughout the month of March and um, and we're gonna find out what's what's great about the TV market in Canada what's not so great we're gonna find out some of the differences because there are differences um, not just in, in the content of what's produced here but also um, just the the logistics of working as a writer and uh, who knows maybe there's even some American writers that would like to work here. And I'd love to open that uh, topic as well. So, um, but first of all, we're going to talk about you. And um, now you did not start out writing as far as I understand, but um, where did you grow up?
0: Uh, I grew up in Calgary and then in Vancouver. Um, uh, My family moved uh, from Calgary to Vancouver when I was eight. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So I was in Vancouver for pretty much all my formative years. I did my undergraduate degree at the universities in Victoria, which was creative writing mm-hmm. and gerontology. Because I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, and I wanted to know <laughs> what it was going to be like to be old. Uh-huh. So I said, uh, get ready.
1: Gerontology?
0: Yeah, it's the study of aging.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> which in Victoria, I mean, it's, you know, the city of newlywed and nearly dead. The uh-huh. resorts are there. It's an amazing place to study gerontology because... You just go out the front door, and Mm -hmm. there's your research field right there. Wow. Um, So eventually that will hopefully tie back into the writing. Mm -hmm. As the population ages, there's my target market Uh already prepared. Um, And then I did a master's degree in Montreal in creative writing as well.
1: Okay. and So creative writing. Now, what kind of writing did you do at the time? I
0: was doing short stories, Mm -hmm. and I did a, a novel... For my master's thesis, and everything was internal monologue. I think I wrote maybe about three lines of dialogue, mm-hmm. the the whole time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there were there were uh, playwriting courses as well, but I just I, I really loved fiction. I loved creating the worlds and um, being with character. And then so when I started writing. For television, it was, you know, a big transition into the world of dialogue and then, you know, creating story that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, um, according to your bio, you started out, or at least became at one point, a production yeah. executive. Um, so, so tell me about between going to school in Mont- or ma- your master's in Montreal and becoming a production executive, what happened there?
0: My sister-in-law was in Vancouver at the time working on a documentary for what was then Baton Television and the Women's Television Network, Baton became CTV out here. And so when I came back from Montreal to Vancouver, I worked with her on that. I was doing research and clearances and, you know, basically associate producer work. And we were doing that documentary for – her name is Danielle Prohom Olsen, by the way. Uh, we were doing that documentary for a production company called Cadence Entertainment. Who had produced hardcore logo, Rupert's Land kitchen party um, and they were gearing up for a feature called Light Fade, which was uh, directed by Malcolm Ingram. So when the documentary finished, I hopped over uh, into the company and worked as an associate producer on taillight fade and um, which was a great learning. Experience because mm-hmm. it was, you know, abs, there was no curve to the learning curve. It was just being thrown right into the, the mess of production and learning all sorts of, you know, financing and budgets and, and, back um, after contracts. And it was more of sort of the business side of things rather mm-hmm. than the creative, but then also having access to the creative and, um, decisions that were being made along the way and, all the way from prep through post-production through delivery.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: mm-hmm. you know, it was on that feature all the way through, and then once we finished that, the company that produced that, Cadence Entertainment, mm-hmm. kept me on um, as a development person. Mm-hmm. And so they they didn't have anyone in that exclusively in that position before, and because I had come out of uh, writing school and knew how writing works and how writers work and how to talk to writers—they uh, just, you know, opened up an office for me within the company and um, created a development position, mm-hmm. so that they had somebody, so that the producers could focus on production, but still know that there was some something coming in, and there was always something in production then.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, at what point did you actually start writing television?
0: The production company, at that time, there were a number of production companies in the city that were going public mm-hmm. in an effort to raise money. When you go public, there are all these other costs that are incurred, mm-hmm. and I, I'm i not sure that that was quite explored. So we had gone public. We were public for about eight months, and then the company had to close its doors. Oh, so, no. <laughs> Yeah, so I went out to Toronto. That was the first time that I went out to Toronto to see, hey, what's happening out here? Should I uh, move to Toronto? And then a producer friend of mine said, hey, you know what, BC Film has this uh, writer fellowship where they'll place you in a story department as the story department coordinator, and you do a sex script and learn how to um, function within the story department. Mm-hmm. So I came back to Vancouver and applied for that, with uh Studio B productions. I had a very good friend who was working there who said, Hey, we don't have anybody who's a, a story department coordinator here. We have four or five different series running and it would be great if we just had one consolidated person who could coordinate the scripts for mm-hmm. all those different shows. So I came on and um, worked on the first series I worked on was called What About Me. What
1: about me?
0: Yeah, it was a a co-production between Studio B and Decode Mm -hmm. Animation. And at the point that I came on, they were shifting the show from 13 half-hour episodes to 26 11-minute episodes. Mm -hmm. Because foreign sales, they had a greater opportunity for foreign sales if they were 11-minute episodes that they could match with another show called Angela Anaconda. Mm -hmm. And then have those two shows occupy half an hour and then, you know, just keep rotating these 26 episodes around, rather than 13 half hours. And so, right away, the show needed more writers. So, I was able to, on my first go, get a script into production.
2: Mm-hmm. And that was really
0: right. great, because as I say, coming out of a fiction background, and then also having the production background, um, I needed to learn how to write dialogue. And an eleven-minute episode is a fantastic way to learn, because it's so condensed and concise, and every word counts. And you're just dealing with a, an A plot for the most mm-hmm. part. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, that was a really great training ground. The eleven-minute episode, and then Very from cool. there, um, I did some half-hours for them. Worked on a few shows for them. Yakety yak which was an uh, Australian-Canadian co-production. Mm-hmm. And that was 11-minute as well. And then Ivana the Yukon, which was half an hour. And that was a um, Canadian show for YTV.
1: Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, I know we got to get going to... Uh, you have a actually a pretty long res- resume of, of a lot of great <laughs> dramatic shows. But um, but I think it's really fascinating. I, I actually didn't know that there were such writing fellowships in Canada. I know... Um, i've been told many times that the writing fellowships in hollywood are a key way to break in for um for the tv writers there so so they do exist in canada too
0: they do they're they're Run by provincial organizations. So uh, I'm not quite sure if if the one in B.C. still exists, but it was through B.C. Film. Mm -hmm. I believe that there's one in Manitoba. I'm not sure if there's one in Ontario. And what they do is allow somebody to come in as a story department coordinator, so you are handling all of the script changes and getting the scripts out to the A.D.s or whoever they need to get to, but you also write a spec script of the show that you're working on for that show. And, and that's fantastic because you have access to the whole story department who will help you break and read the thing for you. And oftentimes, uh, depending on the benevolence of your showrunner, they'll just say, you know what, forget the spec the script and you're going to do a co-write. And so there have been many cases of that. Or, or sometimes they get their own script, you know, depending on, on the show. Mm-hmm. But there have been many cases where people who came in through the fellowship automatically get a co-write on the show. When I went on to Cold Squad after the animation, our story department coordinator was through that fellowship program as well, and he did a co-write right away on Cold Squad. Wow! And this allows you to, you know, experience taking a script through prep and production and post, and and also in a lot of cases allows you to join the Writers Guild, which
1: mm-hmm. is
0: a, a great help.
1: Very, very cool. Now, before we move on to the the scripted dramatic stuff, um, I did want to talk just a little bit about animation because uh, Canada is for sure known for, I mean, we Mm -hmm. deliver a pile of animated content, um, both Vancouver and Toronto. and, uh, And I know that there are a lot of writers needed for animation. So can you talk just a little bit about, I mean, could somebody... Aspire to just be a full time animated writer here in Canada
0: oh absolutely. There are plenty of writers in Canada, and that 's what they do they They write animation, and you know because there is enough of an industry here, you can do that for a living the The difference is i didn 't realize this when I was in animation until I had crossed over into live action. The difference is that animation is is treated uh, kind of a bit of a, a differently in um, Financial sense, mm-hmm. I don't quite know how to explain this. But in live action, we get production fees, and it's a, a, a as opposed to the, the royalties that Americans are paid. In Canada, we get this one-time buyout, and it's a production fee, and it's a percentage of the above-the-line budget. And uh, in animation, we don't get that. Hmm.
2: Um,
0: but the you know the I guess the trade-off is the amount of fun that you have writing these shows, and also so the amount of of business that you have, like there's so much more animation to be written than there is live action.
1: Mm-hmm. And as as I understand it, the the seasons can just roll one to another. Um,
0: oh, absolutely. At Studio B, yeah. the, the crews there, they you know they would go from Yakety Yak onto Ivana the Yukon onto you know. Um, whatever else has come to minor the leagues or whatever else they're shooting at or you know, being produced at that time. And the teams of writers would just roll from one right on to next as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh and so it sounds like actually this would be a great way to start it. I mean, as you describe it being focused on dialogue and and uh, being very precise. Um, but uh you did move on and so it, it you said Cold Squad was your first dramatic show um, how did you make that transition?
0: Well, I had met the showrunner Peter Mitchell uh, about a year before because I had approached him about the fellowship and they had somebody in that position already. And so I went to Studio B and they had just finished season six and mm-hmm. weren't anticipating getting picked up for a season seven. But I think they had one episode that had a Canuck in it, Uh (laughs) and the ratings shot through the roof, and so CTV renewed the show, and one of the writers, Derek Schreier, had gone off to do his own show, Fifteen Love, with Karen Trubetskoy, and so there was an opening in the story department. I had a series that was in development with CTV at the time, a half-hour comedy about backyard wrestling.
2: Mm -hmm. Peter
0: Mitchell was a big fan of wrestling, and so when he came out to Vancouver, we met and I pitched him an episode about this website at the time that was called Bumfight,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and the lawsuit that ensued from the two the, the creators of this website who made millions off of just going out with a handy cam and recording uh, homeless people fighting each other for you know five hundred dollars or whatever, and one of their subjects had a. Uh, head injury from, resulting from one of, one of these fights and sued and won and so I pitched Pete an episode based on that and that's what got me on the show. And he ended up directing that episode as well.
1: Great. And so now, um was that when you got into the Writers Guild or were you already in the Writers Guild before that? I
0: was in the Writers Guild through the animation because at that time the Writers was opening up to animation writers mm-hmm. and so they, they were, had a really great deal where they, I think they waived at that time the initial initiation fee oh, okay. and so it was just you know c- come on in animation writers because they were looking to address animation in the IPA which is the independent producer, producers agreement that writers, the writers guild has
2: with mm-hmm.
0: signatory producers in our country. I, because I don't know that animation has been covered in the IPA before then. That was about 10 years ago. Now it is absolutely, and um, there are a lot of animation writers that have joined the writers' guild.
1: Mm-hmm. And and representation, you are now represented by Jennifer Holier Agency. but Hollier, uh, yeah. Oh, Holier. And it, at what yeah. point did you get an agent?
0: After Cold Squad.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Actually, I, when I came on to Cold Squad, <laughs> I didn't have any representation. Uh-huh. And so when they made me the offer, I'm sure they lowballed me like crazy, but I was just like, I don't, I don't care. I, what, I'll take whatever. I'm yeah. just so happy to come and, and write for this show and, uh, you know, do whatever I can. I'll wash cars to come and write for this show.
2: Uh huh.
0: And I didn't have, I have to do that yet, but I'm sure that they're gonna call in that favor at any point.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, so you've been with the same agency all the way through?
0: Yes, I have. Um, she's my Canadian agent. I don't have representation in the states, so if anybody wants to change that, I
1: <laughs> cool. Um, and then from there, you. Went I just on... have
0: never. I've never even go, ventured. It hasn't been a foray for me yet.
1: Oh, okay. But yeah. Well, it sounds like you haven't had to. I mean, you've got a lot of work here in Canada, uh, which is great. Really, really, Mm -hmm. really really great. Um, So from Cold Squad, you moved on to uh, Falcon Beach?
0: Yeah, Falcon Beach, which was a global show that Mm -hmm. was shot in Winnipeg and Winnipeg Beach. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, you know, like abs and boobs, wakeboarding, uh, campfire. It was a lot of fun. Uh A lot of fun. Yeah. And um, great writing team. And, I mean, Winnipeg is just an absolute blast.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The nicest people in the country, although I'm sure I've just alienated um, other nice places like Halifax. And, but, uh, yeah, it was just a, a, an absolute blast of a summer going out there and working on that show.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then came something that I think the U.S. viewers might know a little better, Robson Arms. Robson uh, Arms,
0: right. It was... Uh, back in Vancouver, and um it's a sort of anthology show about the various tenants of this apartment building called robson arms mm-hmm. and uh, I came on to second season. First season was a sort of experiment that c t v had done where they had a showrunner, Susan Nielsen, who oversaw the writing and a sort of show running director. Gary Harvey, who oversaw the directors, that they had, I believe, 13 different writers mm-hmm. and 13 different directors. And it was a wow. sort of uh, uh, work experience for new writers and directors. Interesting. And then in second season, they shifted that so that it became more of a standard story department. There were uh, three of us that were in the story department, and then one or two other writers that we're doing freelance and then um Gary directed and I think there were maybe about four other directors on the show.
1: Mm-hmm. And you uh, you got a nomination at the Canadian Screenwriter Awards from that show.
0: I did. Yes. Yeah. Uh you know, corner gas.
1: Mm-hmm. Excuse me.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think Corner Gas was, it was like, uh, Corner Gas had four nominations and then there was me. Uh, the, the wild card. But it was great because it was the first time I got to go to the, uh, Writers Guild Awards and they're super fun and the, the Writers Guild parties in Toronto, because the majority of writers are in Toronto. Mm. so When we have a Writers Guild party here in Vancouver, there are about 20 people and, <laughs> and, um, it's, you know, casual and laid back, from there it's, you know, there'll be a room of 200 people, and all these new faces, and I feel like the, you know, first day of school, going, wow, look at all these people, mm-hmm. and a lot of people that I've heard about and haven't had a chance to meet, so that's, it's always nice as a Vancouver writer to get to go to Toronto for those kinds of things, and yeah. meet everybody that you've heard about.
1: And so we'll, we'll get to the Vancouver versus Toronto topic in a little bit, but um, uh, the your next Credit Or the next uh, item in your uh, bio talks about you becoming a co-producer and writer for the CBC Dramedy J-Pod. And just to have a little bit n- of an aside, um, in in the States, there are a lot of story editor, executive story editor, co-producer, producer. Um, it, are there the, the same levels in Canadian writing, do you know? Or um, how, how do those levels work?
0: I believe so, Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, um, you, I think you, you come in, we don't have staff writers, okay? Mm-hmm. You come in as a story editor, mm-hmm. and then, um, senior story editor, and then executive story editor, and then, from there, if you're, if you're on staff, and you're on staff through production, then mm-hmm. you start coming up the co-producer, co-executive producer, executive producer, up that line. If, if you're a writer on a show, and you come into the room, and you help break, but you're not involved in the day to day in the room. Uh, then you go up with like a creative consultant mm-hmm. um, up that podium pole instead.
1: Oh, okay, so the creative consultants yeah. are just not as involved in the day to day running of the show.
0: Yeah, they they're not on the floor. They're you know they just are, are will come in, break, either their own episode or, you know, maybe be in the room for a couple of weeks to help break the first half of the season mm-hmm. or, you know, a few episodes. So, for instance, I was a creative consultant on The Guard, and that's what I did. I came I was to Toronto for a couple of weeks, uh, was involved in breaking four or five episodes, took one of those away, came home, wrote it, and just dealt with the story department with my script. I didn't give notes on anybody else's script. hmm and so, just, you know, have that creative consultant credit on it.
1: Yeah. And uh, and now, is it similar to the States when, when you do have a co-producer credit? Does that mean you're also involved with things like casting and um, other elements of the actual production?
0: Yeah. Well, it depends on the show. It depends. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the case of J-Pod, our, our, our showrunner left the show about two weeks before we went to camera. Mm-hmm. And so... There were four of us in the department, Doug Copeland, who wrote the book and created the show and, mm-hmm. and uh, was in, involved in the story department and wrote a number of the episodes. J.B. Sugar, who was one of the producers of the show and one of the directors of the show as well, mm-hmm. uh, myself and Dennis Heaton. And so they're just there was so much work to do. There wasn't time for us to hire another showrunner and bring that person up to speed. So the four of us just sort of filled in the gaps and Dennis and I split up the episodes. Mm-hmm. And so I had odd number of episodes and he had the evens and we show ran these episodes through. And then JV uh, took them through post Um and show ran them that, you know, through post. So, in that show, there were three of us kind of doing the, the work of the showrunner, and it was fantastic, wow. and it was an amazing, again, amazing learning experience. And But under that kind of pressure, there's just no no time to stop and go, wow, this is a bit overwhelming. Because it's not. You just have to put your head down and, and get the work done.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you obviously did very well under pressure because you won a Leo Award for Best Dramatic Series <laughs> screenwriting for that show. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. As I was saying
0: uh, before we started this about my name, that I've got like the double whammy, hard to pronounce name, and I should uh-huh. just drop the last name and be like Sharon Madonna. <laughs> but when we were at the Leos, we all sort of assumed Doug was going to win because it's Doug Copeland, and um, he wasn't there. So we had talked about the three of us going up, the, the remaining story department members going up and getting it, uh, accepting the award on his behalf. And then when the, and I I think it was, the you know, the opposite of the corner gas thing where four J-Pod episodes had been nominated and Mm -hmm. then something else, I I can't remember what else it was, I apologize to whomever else it was that was nominated, and when the actors opened up, it was two actors from the guard that were giving out the award that night, when they opened up the envelope and paused, I thought... Oh, my God, I just won, because they have no idea how to pronounce that name. <laughs> and, yeah, so it was me, and um, there I went up there, and it's all a blur. I can't really remember what I said, except that I remembered to thank the script coordinator and the first AD who shot that episode, because they made sure it came in, and a lot of good stuff got shot, and nothing got sort of left behind. mm mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Very, very cool. Well, congratulations to you on that.
0: Thank you. It was a, it was such a good show to work on. We had great directors and our cast was amazing and, and that team, I mean, all, those guys are all still really good friends. They all hang out together and, you know, crash at each other's places and they're in the same cities. And it was that kind of, I don't know, magical moment of, feeling like this is something that is really, really cool and we're being allowed to get away with murder. Cause mm-hmm. I I don't know that CBC really knew what to do with the show, so they kind of were like, just go and and do and have fun. And, and there wasn't a lot of pullback from the network on that show
2: mm-hmm.
0: at all. And, um, yeah, just, you know, our only regret was that we didn't get a second season, that we weren't sort of allowed to
1: continue
0: on in our crazy ways
1: yeah Yeah. well we'll get to um, I know for sure the American viewers and actually even globally uh, will recognize uh, a couple of the upcoming shows that you worked on um, speaking about Being Erica and The Listener but first (laughs) of all I was very curious about the independent feature film Edison and Leo Um, what can you tell me about that
0: uh, Edison and Leo had been in development for, oh, about 10 years before I came onto it. It was written by George Tolls, who is a, a producer, or a producer professor in Winnipeg and writes primarily for Guy Madden.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry, there's my cold coming through. Uh-huh. And George's brain is fascinating. The guy has the, the most amazing ideas and, uh, it's, uh, the first time I read Edison and
1: Leo,
0: <clears throat> the same as anyone, it just blows your mind, with mm-hmm. the, the, the level of creativity uh, and the world that George creates, the producers of the show wanted to make it slightly more accessible to a wider audience. So that's they brought me on and said, you know, this is something that we'd like to have, almost more of like a Tim Burton kind of thing, like a Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, so that it's a family film mm-hmm. um, rather than, than something that will only uh, make the circuit, the film festival circuit. It was the first time that the producers had done this stop-motion animation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There were uh, some technicians from UBC who had created a camera exclusively for this film oh, wow. as well. And, and it's Canada's first stop-motion animation feature. And Telefilm got behind it and supported it all the way through. And I think it took 18 months Mm -hmm. to make the film. They shot it out. They took over an old residential school in Mission, B.C., hired a bunch of animators out of Sheridan College in Ontario, Mm
2: -hmm. brought
0: them out here, housed them there. So everything was happening all in one place, like the gym there were a number of sets that were built in the gym and various classrooms, and so the director could just move from classroom to classroom and and see what was happening. Interesting. I only went out there once, and it was amazing. These worlds that they had created, and the the, um, the animation is very cool, and uh, they have you know the amount of work in this thing is just mind-boggling.
1: Mm-hmm. And so what was yeah. your role on that?
0: Well, I took the script uh, and then did, I guess, maybe about three or four drafts to take it to production drafts. So that it was a, a script that Telefilm felt had commercial potential mm-hmm. and that the producers um, were, you know, happy with taking this to camera.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, just for the, for the sake of the U.S. viewers, um, maybe you can just tell them a little bit about what Telefilm is.
0: Telefilm is our national, uh, funding agency for feature funds and then, uh, and all of it also helps finance our television. And, um it's taxpayer money and oftentimes this is, you know, the, the first cornerstone that, well I guess the network,
2: mm-hmm.
0: network commitment is our first cornerstone and then the telefilm CFTPA Money depending on whether you're a feature or a television product, this is a, a big chunk of change for us to help us uh, mm-hmm. produce our films and television.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I, I can relate even as a, as an editor. Um, I've been contracted for shows, and then their telefilm money didn't come through, and the show just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, so unlike the states where um, there's a lot of private money and things and and Um, these companies don't necessarily have this, uh, appendage (laughs) situation happening. Um, we're, we're very dependent on this. And, and with telefilm, you often have to write to their requirements. Um, maybe you can just explain a little bit about that. You had, you had to make it commercially, uh, you had to develop that commercial potential.
0: Well, you also have to have a certain amount of canned, uh, Canadian content in there. they like to know that this speaks to the Canadian identity, that this represents Canadian identity. In the case of Edison and you Leo, know, is a sort of uh, mock biography of Thomas Edison and his son who becomes electrified and can't, can't touch people. And, you know, he's just a sweet kid who wants to love, but his, his sort of monster of a father and technology and and speed and this... You know, desire to succeed has uh, created this situation where his son can't even hug him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And th- there's certain aspects of telefilm that are triggered when you have Canadian content in the film. So in the Edison and Leo, it was about Thomas Edison. It was set in Menlo Park. These things had to be changed because it's not a, it's not Canadian. It doesn't speak of a Canadian identity. So we massage that. We added in some in-jokes Canadian jokes. We mentioned, you know, this is near Winnipeg, and that the sun is leaving for Squamish at the end, and <laughs> just uh, took out a, a bunch of American references and resituated this into a Canadian location and Canadian identity, and um, added some just fun for Canadian audiences throughout. So when they're catching the train, um, they blast through a border crossing into Manitoba, and the border guard is playing hockey and the real kind of hoser accent. And... <laughs> yeah. Cool. But, you know, we we're trying to make this for a, for an international audience at the same time that um, we're watching for telefilm. Yes, this is a Canadian film. Mm-hmm. Canadians made this film, and so that in itself speaks to the Canadian identity because the sense of humor and the references are, are for Canadians.
1: Yeah. Though it did win Best Animated Feature at the Bangkok International Animation Film Festival.
0: Yeah, it did. It went through a number of different animation film festivals. And the so one in Bangkok, um, it was the first time that they had an animation side mm-hmm. to their international film festival. And I got to go, which was awesome. Very cool. The, sure. the um, executive producer, Dean English, he was in Turkey at a film festival. And mean the producer Karen Powell, she had just finished up at TIFF and VIFF, and he was uh not interested in, in traveling and our producer or our director, his wife was eight eight and a half months pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I uh, was um next to line to the throne. Wow. And so off I went to Bangkok and um yeah, I, I didn't know that we had won. I came back into the hotel; it was about four in the afternoon, and the organizers of the film festival were, you know, all in a tizzy for me. Of course, my cell phone didn't work over there. Oh so they no! me down. So they with me into this room. I'm in shorts and t-shirt, and I'm all kind of, you know, grungy looking because it's so humid over there. And they with us into this room. We have to learn protocol. Oh no! Because the awards are being given out by one of the princesses. So we're in this room, and the awards start at 6 o'clock, so we're in this room for two hours learning how to curtsy and and how to enter the room when the princess comes in, how to, to step onto this mat to have our picture taken, and, and we're just practicing this, and every once in a while one of the dignitaries would come up to me and say, you did bring a dress, didn't you? <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, yes, I, I have it upstairs. As soon as you let me go, honestly, trust me, I'll go and get my dress. And so they released me at about 5.55. So I had five minutes to run upstairs, get into my dress. Oh, my
1: do something goodness. Something with
0: my frizzed out hair and uh run back downstairs with my buddy who had come to Bangkok with me. And um they, you know, had... In the meantime, had to sweep the hotel for bombs and everything. <laughs> and so, when they put us in the room um, for the awards ceremony, we were locked in. Oh my! We weren't allowed to go out to the washroom. And the princess was about an hour late. And this, oh no! I and mean, it's such—it's amazing the royal protocol, and, and even down to things like the way that your legs are before she enters the room. Like if your legs are crossed. It, when she enters the room, you can't uncross them. However, your legs are—that's how they have to stay. Really? Yeah.
2: <clears throat> wow.
0: And so, when going up to get the award, you know, I had to stand up and face her and curtsy, and then come out into the aisle before her, and and come up and curtsy again, and then accept the award, and um, and then there were. So there's so much press there. It was these flashbulbs from either side. This blinding light. Wow! And then once you get the award, you have to sort of take two steps backwards and then curtsy again, and then you back away. You're not allowed to turn your back and walk away. Wow! So slightly different than winning a Leo Award.
1: My um, goodness.
0: Yeah, it was really it was really fascinating, and it's completely an honor to be over there and be able to do this. The award looked like the inside of somebody's colon, though. I don't, I don't know who designed <laughs> this thing. So when I brought it back to give it to the producers, they all sort of looked at it and went, "Ugh." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. But the colon yeah, it was award. like eighty pounds carrying this thing back through. Wow. Customs. Yeah.
1: Wow. That that is just fascinating stuff. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the little film that could, and um, it was kind of, you know, uh, it was an absolute surprise that that we won. Um, But yay, Edison and Leo.
1: Wow, very, very cool. So uh, off of features and back to TV, um, at what point did you start on being Erica?
0: I started, the pilot had been shot, Mm -hmm. and they were developing season one. So I came on after the pilot and but before the remainder of season one there was a Bible that was in place Uh a lot of that Bible got changed as we sort of worked through mm-hmm. and um, we broke the next five episodes there were five of us in the room we broke the next five episodes and then we all you know went away for it to write our episodes and then we came back for production so I was on Being Erica for the first season mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Very, very cool. And, and I know that that show is a big export. Um, there are fans literally around the world of that oh, show. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron Karpluck is amazing. Mm-hmm. And fearless. And one of those actors, I mean, I've been fortunate to work with a number of actors that are like this. That you just, you know, you can put it on the page and they're going to deliver and they're, you know, there's no ego involved or, you know, they're not afraid to, uh, do all or whatever it is that you need the character to do. They trust that you're going to take them there and, and you can trust that they'll go there and deliver, you know, 100% every single time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And mm-hmm. so, you know, the, the fact that that show gets picked up time and time again is just testament to Erin Carpluck and, uh, and her yeah. amazing, talent mm-hmm. in um, bringing the character to life.
1: Yeah. And you were a co-producer and writer on that show. I, I guess this is a, a, as good a time as any to talk a bit about the process uh, for a Canadian show from idea to breaking to outlining, etc. Can you, can you walk me through um, the process for that show?
0: So yeah, that show is um, serialized as much as it's product. Uh. So when we came together to break the first season, we had to deal with two different levels. One was, you know, what do we need Erica to do this season? What is she going to learn this season? And how are we, you know, what are the steps that are going to get her there? And we knew that because of of the introduction of her brother's death in the pilot, we knew that we had to deal with it at a certain point in the series. So that was a sort of tentpole. Okay, well... Sometime around 12 or 11, but probably not 13, we're going to deal with the brother's death. Mm-hmm. And there, there were other things along the way, like we knew we wanted to get her out into the working world, have her fumble a little bit first, and eventually get into the things that we want her to get into, um, for character reasons and also for practical reasons, because we want to get to that set. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, for, for production budgeting costs, get that set as quickly as we can that's where we're going to live for the, the rest of the season, if not into the next season. And, and um, we knew emotionally as well, we're going to move her best friend in next door. And, you know, the the relationship there, the push and pull on the relationship, and somebody else that's going to pose a threat and bring that person in at a certain point. So, you know, these the, the mark along the way. And then episodically, it was what is her regret that week on the mm-hmm. list, and uh, for people who don't who haven't seen the show, um, the show is is a it's a do over show. Uh, the main character Erica Strange has a list of she has a mystical therapist who's able to transport her back in time for do overs and um, you know lessons are learned and hopefully applied to a situation that has sparked. The, or, or, you know, is the catalyst in her life now as mm-hmm. a 30 year old, 30 something, uh, single woman who's trying to, you know, make it out there in a little Mary Tyler Moore kind of way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so yeah, episodically we needed the regret and the lesson.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, and it was actually is it it complicated, right? Because you're balancing those worlds, and then also trying to find well, what is the what is the takeaway? What is the mess that is in this episode? Mm-hmm. And how does it apply to the character? And how do we make that feel real and not something that um, is odd for a 30 year old to figure that out at this point in her life? You know, mm-hmm. we wanted to make her uh, sympathetic and approachable character, a likable character. Mm-hmm. And Erin herself is so likable that you know she just brings it to the table right away.
1: Yeah, and uh, and so once you figure out these sort of overarching needs, then um, you break the story for that individual episode together with the other writers. And uh, yeah. is is there an outline that's sent to CBC?
0: Well, first the uh, the first launch over to the network is do we want to do an episode about this, and it's mm-hmm. just it's oftentimes a phone conversation with the person at the network saying, you know, we're we're talking in this general area. Are you cool with that? Mm-hmm. And once they are, then you can go into further breaking of the of the episode and then um the writer will take that away and come back with an outline. And networks will kick in notes at various points along the way often mm-hmm. uh, outline, first draft, second draft. Sometimes not first draft, sometimes first draft is just internal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the networks are involved in the shows, um, especially in first season. Of course, in first season, because they would want to make sure that everything is, you know, on the rails.
1: Hmm. And so then you you would um, get commissioned to write a script. You would take take that, write it, and then that script would go um, back to the room for notes, or would that uh, how how would that process go?
0: Yeah, when you finish the outline, you kick it back into the room and mm-hmm. then there's, there's always an internal round of notes first mm-hmm. before it goes to the network or even before it will go to the producers. So the story department then sort of, depending on the, on the department, sometimes it's a round table and sometimes if it's crazy busy, then we'll just will email their notes, mm-hmm. and sometimes <clears throat> all the notes go to the showrunner, and the showrunner will, you know, pick and choose and refine the notes. And sometimes it's just everybody will send their notes to the individual writer, and then that writer will go through the notes and and make sense of them. Mm-hmm. I, it's also, I think, depending on how the the level of seniority of the writers. If you've been doing it for a while, you know how to get notes. You know Mm -hmm. how to get notes and how to make them work. And and if you're fairly new, then it would be more a process of the room coming together with you and talking out notes and helping you find solutions. And a lot of the story rooms that I've worked in when there are junior writers, it's a really supportive collaborative. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no sort of... you're after my job or anything like that. It's like, yeah, we're all in this thing together and let's help you as much as we can.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, j- uh, this is just a general um, question, but would you say that Canadian shows are as, how can I put it, showrunner-driven, maybe, as um, as the American shows, or are they just slightly more democratic?
0: Oh, it's very case-specific. Mm-hmm. In... And I've worked on all variety of shows in in um Falcon Beach, for instance, we didn't have a show run. we had a head writer mm-hmm. and the producers were very involved in the show running decisions and casting and and wardrobe choices and <clears throat> music and and the writing room was more of a, it was almost like a we were like a construction department, but we built with words so uh, we you know but in in the case of pod, all decisions were collaborative with the various departments and mm-hmm. so you know even when we broke an episode whoever was sort of overseeing that episode would then go to the various department heads and say hey we just broke this episode i need i need to blow up a bunch of things um you know we're going to have a bunch of play in this episode, and, and it's it's. I want to blow up like bags of flour and water and right. stuff. So you'd get on the phone with the special effects guy and say, what's going to be best for you? And then I can address that. Or you'd go to locations and say, hey, we need um, this kind of location. What's going to work for you? And then, you know, and props or art department or whatever it is, go and address these issues as they come up. So that they have a heads up, um so that they're not completely pressed and stressed, and you know, at the last second trying to find things. And it just was a, it was a very smooth, flowing show because everybody had the information that they needed. There was no sense of information equals power, or no, no sense of you know, frenetic last-minute decisions. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to address things as early in the game as we could, so that we could get those things. And, and not completely destroy our budget.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And in that case, having the, the writers, you know, drive the show that way worked really well. And I hope that, that the crew on the show felt more relaxed than they do, you know, usually when things are just chaos and script changes are being made at the last minute to address network notes and then mm-hmm. fall down onto other departments who are just going, what? How do you Writers are doing the stuff, and, <laughs> and it's, it's oftentimes those decisions aren't coming uh, exclusively because writers are going, "Oh, let's you know create chaos for everybody." It's, it's sometimes the networks are saying, "Hey, how about this? And do it now."
1: Cool. Um we're we're starting to run a little long so we'll we'll probably oh, move, we'll probably move a little more quickly through the last uh, few things but um I definitely wanted to touch on another successful export which is The Listener. Um what can you tell me about uh, about The Listener for CTV Fox International?
0: Mm. Well, The Listener is um I was
1: the 27th there. Hey, I'm sorry. On.
0: So, I was the 27th there. To come on the on the show.
1: The twenty seventh writer.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, they're shooting the second season, uh-huh. and so there there have been a number of writers through through the show. Um, it's when I came on, I thought, well, this is uh, this is going to be kind of chaotic. I had a I had an excellent time on the show. It's uh showrunner Sam Egan was uh, magnanimous and um, just grace under pressure and um yeah, the other writers on the show were fun Will's Max who you're we going to interview as well we had worked on seeing Erica and he asked me if I was interested in coming out on the show because he sort of wanted to uh, have a buddy in the room and so I came out to Toronto and the timing was right and um Again, the cast on that show, very fun to work with. And that show, there isn't a writer on the floor. And that was um one of the first times that, well, on Cold Squad, we didn't have a writer on the floor at all times either. It was seventh season, and, you know, you could go on the floor whenever you wanted. Mm-hmm. It was just that the directors that were directing, Gary Harvey, who was directing the majority of the episodes, was an executive producer. So it wasn't like, you know... Uh, and because it was episodic, not serialized, it wasn't like you needed to have a writer on the floor to maintain continuity. majority of the other shows that I've worked on, there's, there's no writer on the floor, being mm-hmm. Erica and Jay pod and Robson. But on listener, no, because there was just so much work to be done in the, in the story room. It was, um, sort of, it would have been a misuse of time mm-hmm. to have a writer on the floor. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I came on, I was gone for hire. I come, came on for two months and did a script and home. So it was just a, it was a nice break. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, and, and you mentioned a few times about coming to Van, or coming to Toronto to do a show and then going back to Vancouver. You live in Vancouver. Um, yeah. but you had mentioned before we started about how, um, you were feeling the pressure about moving to Toronto. What, what, what <laughs> can you tell me about that, um, that dynamic
0: here's the situation and in the state in they have a hub and you know it's LA obviously and
1: um and we
0: as well and it's Toronto and as much as we try to deny that and say, oh no no there's regionalism and whatnot then the last few years everything has shifted to Toronto and even shows that shoot out in Vancouver the majority of of the writers are from Ontario and the production um companies that are producing shows that shoot out here Ontario. And we had network executives that were out here. There was somebody at CBC. There was somebody at CTV that made it possible for writers and producers from Vancouver to pitch to those networks here in our mm-hmm. and not have to do the $500 cup of coffee. And that was great. And, you know, the people that were in those positions here with the networks, they didn't have the power to greenlight anything, but they had the power to be in the room with you and to get to know you. And so you always felt like I knew my person, the network here, and they were sociable and they were out. And and it was just a nice sense of like, I'm connected to the network through this person. They're the conduit to the decision makers, but I have the conduit. Mm -hmm. Well, now we don't have that anymore. So we're back to the $500 coffee. You know, and the tax credit situation is such that province is different. Mm-hmm. And so there are production tax credits. So, you know, if a show is in um, Regina, they pick up some tax credits from there and they will hire a crew from there. But there are also tax credits that come into budget for your above-the-line creative, your key creative. Mm-hmm. And so if you're shooting a show and the production company is in British Columbia, and you want to have as many of those creatives from that province, so that counts for tax credit. Mm-hmm. And so there was a time when, you know, in the being Erica era, for instance, I was a BC writer, and I got hired in an Ontario show, and they took a hit for hiring me. Every time a writer from out of province gets hired on a, on a show, that show takes a takes a hit. Um, by bringing you on because mm-hmm. you can't collect tax credits for you. Plus, they also have to put you up and per diem and whatnot. But the major thing is the tax credits. So there was a time when it was sort of, we don't care, we're going to hire the best people. Now the tax credits are, are such a major part of the budget that it's we're going to hire the best person for the job from this province. Mm-hmm. And in the United States, they don't have that, you know, also because they're in the hub of uh, L.A., yeah. Where everybody's at the same spot, and in in Canada we do. And so living in Vancouver, when the industry is in Toronto, is like saying I'm a TV writer who lives in New York, but you know the industry is in L.A. So I live in a beautiful city. I have three days a year of winter, but when it comes to working, there's development out here. And uh, for instance, right now, I'm, I'm working, with, uh, working with a pilot for No Equal Entertainment, who are my JPod pod producers, uh, called Bitten, based on a series of novels by Kelly Armstrong.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so we have that, and we're working on that, and that's with CTV and Faith, and you know, a few other of my writer friends out here have stuff in development. But it's that push to production, of actually getting something here in production that is so hard. Mm-hmm. And... Is you know there's a number of us in who are sort of going, Ah kids i i can't- can't afford to not work anymore and the opportunities are all in Toronto and um and it's tough you know when when you get on a show in Toronto and it's four months, you pick up the show for four months, and so your life at home for those that have Thousands and family who can't take them with them, stuff gets put on hold,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, you know your house just sits and off you go to Toronto and and then you come back. So yeah, it's this weird thing right now for Vancouver where there's not a lot happening, mm-hmm. and but there are a lot of really great writers out here,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it, it it'll just you know I think we're almost. At that point of either we have to, to go east or south or something's gotta give. Like the networks have to start trusting back in this place again and mm-hmm. put its production back in this place again. Global always has.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They went from the guard to shattered to end game. Um, CTV has hiccups here and ITV has a new show called Mr. Young. And as far as I know, that's kind of it, other than animation. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. Yep. The the heyday has passed, and hopefully it will come back. Yeah. Uh, but it's not looking promising right now.
1: Yeah. Now, um, again, speaking, well, speaking, I guess, kind of about the, uh, the logistics of working as a Canadian TV writer, this might be a a slightly sensitive topic, but there, there are. U.S. Um, writers under 30 making a million dollars a year.
0: Um, <laughs> hey, U.S.
1: agents. <laughs> How you doing out
0: there? Yeah.
1: Um, uh, what's the pay like for a Canadian writer?
0: Well, it really depends on, on where you are on the, the hierarchy mm-hmm. and um, the show that you're on, the budget on that show and um, but I don't know anybody in Canada who is making um u s money mm-hmm. nobody, even showrunners, yeah, yeah, and um, you know it's it's a dedication, I guess, to remain here and try to make this industry work. And, and then, um, also, you know, the the simple truth is for those of us, for the majority of us that are here who run it to the States, like you looked at MDB and it's, you know, fairly expensive. And I worked on a number of shows. If I went down to LA, none of those credits count Mm
2: -hmm. because
0: nobody's seen any of those shows really. So, you know, it's back to, um, spec script and please believe me, I I can do this job, just me in there, and, and I can do it because I've done mm. it. But, yeah, the you know, I don't want to complain about the money because it's just, it's good money, you know, in comparison to what my parents did for a living and, and what they earned or, you know, the majority of, of these. But at the same time, when you compare it to the U.S., it's nowhere near.
1: Mm. And so I, I know for, for me, after working for a while, my advice to somebody beginning would be that you really, and unless you you are tied, for other reasons to a certain place that's not one of the production centers, that uh, it's really best to start out in the place that you think you're going to end up. Um, like if you, like if if you are starting out, start out in Toronto or start out in LA and start building your network there and get all your credits. There in the place that you're going to be, and yet at the same time, there are Canadian writers who, um, who I've talked to, who work in both, who who work in in LA and then come back to, to Canada, work in LA. Um, what what can you tell me about about that? I mean, you've you've stayed in Canada, but why would somebody work in LA and then come back here?
0: I I stayed in Canada because you know I sort of um, happened into television blissfully. Uh, I didn't go to the CFC. It, it wasn't, um it was something that I always wanted to do when I was a kid. And then when it happened, I was like, awesome, look what I get to do for a living. Mm-hmm. And so my thing is, as long as there's work in Vancouver, I'll stay in Vancouver. Because this is where my family is, and this is where I grew up, and my friends, and I love here. And, you know, we can drive to the set in 10 minutes uh, for the most part. And so I never really had that. Well, I did. It was always that, well, I should go to LA and try. Um, or if there is no try. There's only do. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the work was here and that, you know, it was, there was a consistent amount of work. So I was having fun and working on great shows. And so I was happy mm. with that. Um, I don't know if that's the answer to the question, but that has changed. So now I'm, an, I'm definitely at a crossroads right now of set up. Or light a cigarette and help the boss come.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, your advice to a new writer, specifically a new um, Canadian writer, a young young writer, or somebody who wants to break into the industry, um, yeah. what advice would you give them?
0: Go so south. If, if you know you've got the the energy and. You yeah, probably don't have a mortgage or a family yet, or anything that's tying you, as you say, to to this place. Just go,
1: <laughs> go to LA. Yeah, go
0: yeah. and do it. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Now, specifically about somebody who wants to stay in Canada, um, what what advice would you give them about how logistically to get started in this industry? Uh,
0: join, go on to Facebook and join Inc Canada is this, uh, great resource run by Karen Walton, mm-hmm. um, who is a uh, amazing, altruistic screenwriter who has created this, this group that supports young, uh, and new writers. And once a month or something, she, uh, there's a drinks night called Band Practice. Go to that, meet some people, just start networking. I mean, that's, um it's a combination of talent, perseverance, and who you know, who's going to take a, a chance, who's going to take the risk, to put in the room for the first time. Um, in my case, it was Studio B and then Pete Mitchell, who uh, brought you with Cold Squad. Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, find, find the mentor, who, the person who is about to be showrunner, uh, who's about to get their own show, mm-hmm. who will take the chance on you. Have a spec script for them. And, um, buy them beer.
1: <laughs> and, and for writing a spec script, what, what shows are you specking for these Canadian showrunners? I don't even know if you do specs anymore, but what, what specs are they reading, I guess would be the better, better question.
0: Uh, well, anything, mm-hmm. really. Uh, you know, and as long as it's well written.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there are, there are the, the TV writers have sort of shows that they watch and, and, um, you know, I know when I go and stay with my dad, those are those that my dad watches. And <laughs> my dad watches MIS and Homes on Home. And um but if, if you're interested in television writing, there are shows that as a television writer you will be watching, Breaking Bad and and uh whatnot. And so, you know, try to try to write to those or even better, write an original spec. mm mm-hmm. Let us know who you are and what your voice is and what you're interested in, and if you can create an episode of something new and original and exciting.
2: Because mm-hmm.
0: uh, it's one thing it's one thing to, to look at another show and then parrot that, but you're going to have to do that to come into television. But we'll, we also want to know what your ideas are, what you're bringing to the table.
1: Great. Well, that's a great place to end up.
0: And what book do you have out?
1: What book? Yeah, you always have a book off to the side. Oh, there. oh uh, the TV writers' workbook by Ellen Sandler. Okay. I I just pick a random one. I, uh... <laughs> well, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing. It's uh, I know I, I don't know if you want to go into a long discussion here, but um, I think it's just bizarre that there is a mongoloid, humongous industry for um, for feature writing. Like all the all these seminars and and books and DVD training series and 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 pitch fests and all this kind of thing yeah. um, on feature writing, and yet there's ten times the number of jobs in TV as features.
0: Well, but a feature you can do by yourself, you know. You, you, yeah, you, I you, mean, you can you can create a show. You can try to create a show by yourself, but eventually you need the team. Um a feature, you, anybody can. Um, go to one of those seminars and then sit down and and write one. But to actually be in TV is is different.
1: It is is different, but I personally think that there's a lot to be gained from from reading some of these resources. Like um, Feature writers, by comparison, will have read 30 or 35 books before they really start getting their their, um, career going.
0: Yeah, a lot of TV TV writers write on gut. Got instinct. Mm -hmm. But um, I've had to teach a couple times, and that's (laughs) the first time where I was like, oh, my God, I have to actually explain what I do to somebody else and make it make sense. And that was really great because then I had to explain to somebody else what I do and make it make sense. And and then I had to actually make it make sense for me first. And and that was very useful to be able to say, oh, I get what I'm doing now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, yeah. I, uh, I won't take any more of your time, but I thank you so I much hope for, that
2: was...
1: Oh yeah. Oh, was it, it was great. I think this is one of our longest interviews ever. Um, <laughs> but, but totally appropriate because, uh, this is the first time we've tapped into the Canadian industry. And I, and I really thank you for, um, helping uh, not only with TV, but features and animation and, and, um, the fellowships and, and all these kinds of resources, I think will be tremendous for, um, for Canadians who want to break in,
0: great! Well, I look forward to hearing what uh, the rest of the Canadians have to say too. <laughs> cool. Maybe they have magic secrets that I don't know. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Cool. So, uh, so right. thanks, thanks so much. Hopefully, I'll, I'll get to meet you one day. I don't know if yeah. you will end up in Toronto. Uh, sounds like you will for work anyway. But uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool. So, all, all, all right, the best great. to you. Hey. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye bye. And that's all we've got for today. I'm so thankful that Dagan Fricklin could join us. And uh, boy, she took a lot of her time and uh, was very, very generous. And I know that it's uh, helpful, especially for anybody who is in Canada wanting to break in and, and even people working already. It's great to hear all her stories about working in Canada. Um, we will have lots more about working in Canada over the next few weeks. And so make sure to check back to tvwriterpodcast.com or my Twitter at Gray Jones to get the latest updates on when those are coming, but expect them on Mondays. You can go to iTunes, search for TV Writer Podcast, and you'll find the video version or the audio version. You can go to tvwriterpodcast.com um, to watch the episodes online. You can also get them at scriptmag.com, and uh, you can uh, subscribe to the Script Magazine feed if you want the audio-only versions, but all the other versions are video-enabled. So, hope that's not too confusing, but I'm sure you can find it, and you can get all those details at tvwriterpodcast.com. So, until next week, thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft scriptwriting software, the entertainment industry standard for scriptwriting worldwide.